having a bigger company is like a you know big cruise ship and like it takes a while to turn is totally true and you can try to do a lot of things to mitigate that and make things easier but it's just part of it when you have so many different things that are affected now by change and people Welcome to the Happy Clients Podcast, brought to you by Dot and Company. Whether you're a virtual assistant, an agency owner, or a client-facing account manager, we all deal with clients. Lucky for you, client management is what we do best. Now, let's dig in, chat cam life, and have some fun along the way. Here's to Happy Clients. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on the Happy Clients Podcast. We're so excited to have you learn more about you, the book, and talk media. So yeah, why don't we we jump in and if you could just introduce yourself and fill us in on how we got here. Sure. Um, Yeah, basically, Eric Huberman, founder and CEO of Hawk Media. Uh, Hawk is, as we refer to it, an outsourced CMO and marketing team to companies. So we basically go into brands, identify holes in their marketing strategy or marketing org, and then can spin up different experts all a la carte month to month. So Facebook marketer, email marketer, web designer, fractional CMO, et cetera. Uh, we've been around eight years. We're a little over 300 people. And uh, we also have a venture fund where we do a lot of investing in marketing technology and e-commerce tech. Our second fund is a $50 million fund. And we have uh, a financing arm as well where we do uh, debt financing for our clients to give them working capital loans. And yeah, continue to grow. We've got people all over the US, Canada, China, Philippines, UK, and expanding. Love it. Amazing. What I would love to know, Eric, is sort of that pivotal point. Like, how did you go from, I think maybe 2014 is when you kind of kicked Mm -hmm. off and started your business. And how did it kind of, I guess, grow? And what was that point of like, wow, this is huge and amazing. And I've really got something here. Yeah, it's been incremental. I'd say it's more like easier to answer like when we weren't. So the first four years was a rocket ship because I started this, I'd built and sold two e-commerce companies, had a reputation in LA of knowing how to grow e-com. And it was right, 2014 was when like a lot of major businesses were like, we got to figure this out. And so I became like one of the only go-to guys that had a lot of credibility in the space. Like listen, agencies are a dime a dozen. Anyone, There's no barrier to entry. So they're everywhere. But most people trying to get into this were super frustrated by the lack of expertise. Like anyone could say, oh, I'm an e-commerce marketer. And then mm-hmm. they'd have no prior success whatsoever. And so I had enough credibility that everyone's like, it's almost a risk mitigation where it's like, well, at least this guy out of everyone actually did it successfully. So let's work with him. We grew really fast in the beginning. And for the first four years, we set a bunch of really ambitious goals. And we literally came within 1% of all of them the first four years. The problem was I didn't like pick my head up to figure out what to do after that until we hit the end of the fourth year. And then I was like, oh, we hit the goal again. Uh, I don't know, double again. We'll, we'll figure it out. And like, that was where we kind of lost ourselves for a couple of years of like, what are we growing now? Because it went from what could be sort of a small business, you know, and we like our fourth year, we did 10 million in net revenue. And that was the goal. We hit it, but we could do that without really thinking about our place in the world. Like we didn't, like we're too small. Like I, I know that seems big, but in the broad scheme of things, it's a very small business. And so we weren't trying to find our place in the market. We were just an agency that was good at selling and good at keeping our clients and serving them. And then we had to figure out, okay, what's our niche? What do we actually stand for? And that frankly took a couple of years. And there's a couple of years, we grew slower than we had. We still grew quite a bit. I think we went 10, 14, 20 million was that path. And then frankly, right before COVID, we really found our niche, our stride, 
uh, our mission statement, accessibility to great marketing, the idea became, we really started, and this was always in the ethos of the business. We started uh, kind of, I alluded to a second ago, we started the business because I was so sick that like 99% of agencies out there were full of shit, that they had no experience, they had no success, they didn't have a service that was actually good for their client, and they would sell clients on hiring their marketing company, even though if they were true to themselves, they'd know that was they were almost conning these clients because they were selling themselves as this God's gift to marketing, yet they had never had a true success in marketing. And so I just got sick of that. And then the 1% of agencies that are good usually go up market. So they start ignoring small and medium businesses. They only want to work with the Fortune 2000. They become expensive. They want long contracts, high minimums. And I just found that the ecosystem was broken, that the companies that needed good marketing the most or great marketing couldn't get it. And so the idea of accessibility to great marketing, how can we be the best at what we do, but also easy to work with became the driving force of the company. And that was, yeah, two years ago. And that kicked us off into basically tripling the company since then. Wow. It's amazing. And I love that because we see that a lot too, you know, working with smaller agencies who are maybe not getting those results for their clients or they're not kind of pushing the needle like they need to. And it's, yep. it's frustrating for us too, you know, like we're the ones working with the clients and if we continuously don't have good results, it's not as fun either. So I know before you were all in an office working in California. So what did COVID do for your business? Are you all remote now or how has that yeah. shifted? Yeah, we went completely remote. And then funny enough, we did a deal with WeWork like six months ago where we got everyone at WeWork Pass and we got a, a actual like fixed office in a WeWork in LA for a lot of our team that's in what's called the South Bay here, but uh, near the airport that they wanted a place to go. Three people use it regularly out of 300. Um, and then like now and then a few other people use it, but it, like it is so underused. We did it because people were asking for it. And now everyone's like, actually, like working from home is kind of nice. So we're probably going to just let allow people, we're going to give the option for a long time, but it, mostly people are working from home. Yeah. That's amazing. Which is really great when your team's 300 plus people, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Eric, you have definitely had so much success. Um, you're leading this great team as CEO of Hawk Media, what is your day like now? What are you kind of in charge of? I mean, aside from an enormous company, but what yep. are you doing on the regular as CEO? Yeah, it, my job, like the categories of my job have gotten pretty consistent. What happens on a daily basis is always different, but it's basically a third of my time strategic working with the team, diving into whether it's getting the sales team pumped up, doing trainings, working with my leadership on different strategies and ways to fix a company, spotting holes in our game. Like it's constantly evolving. And the moment you take your eye off that is when you have problems at an agency, like it doesn't go away ever. So being a third strategic, about a third promotional, frankly, writing the book, being on podcasts, speaking at events, that kind of thing. And about a third growth. So figuring out other ways to expand the company, other ways to grow what we're doing, uh, whether it's again, it's M&A and buying other agencies, if it's, uh, you know, launching the fund, launching the financing arm, and then spending some time with sales and marketing, figuring out how to grow organically as well. Like really looking at growth is a big part of my job too. But yeah, really bakes down into the, those three categories. So I can imagine there's definitely categories of people, but what I have learned from reading the book, kind of doing our research, you definitely have a client management team and sort of, you know, a client facing group of people with Hawk Media that, you know, are, I guess, very strong and very sort of important to the oil, the wheel, the everything in motion 
Um, so how have you structured not only that team, but even your agency kind of working with maybe different buckets or different teams of people? Yeah. Um, we take a very different approach to account management. We kind of turned it around. So all of our experts that do the work talk to their clients, the Facebook marketer, the email marketer, the web designer, they talk directly to their clients. And so it puts a challenge for us that we need people that are good at communicating and good at doing their work. But we also, it does the opposite, which it allows us to pay them better because there's not two people on the account immediately, which means we either have to charge more to cover those two people or split the pay. And that was an efficiency thing for a long time. So we want to find people that are good communicators and good at the job because we found when we put middlemen, and this is just our own experience, most agencies have account managers. We found that the, because they didn't have to report their work to the client, we had to then manage them. And the moment we just put them on the client, like that, we never had to micromanage. It's like, they're not going to not do their work. Then they're going to get screamed at by all, they, they have eight bosses other than us if they're managing eight accounts or whatever. So it's like, we're not as worried about it. And like, they're going to want to show up. And when we took that away from them, they might get an, you know, a project done late, but they didn't have to explain to the client. So it wasn't really on them. They just would tell the account manager like, oh yeah, I'm going to get that next week. And now the account manager has to tap, tap dance on the phone because the person didn't get the job done. Like those were the kind of issues we ran into that, listen, there's other ways to manage that, but we found we could cut out a lot of problems by just having them speak directly. So what we did instead was try to take over all the as much of like sort of the back office and uh, tedium of the job away from them. So reporting, you know, project management, that kind of stuff that a lot of times they do have to manage as well. That's what we took off their plate. So they can just do the work, report to the client, have what they need and have someone else doing a lot of the other stuff. And that's been pretty effective from what we found. That's amazing. And so what are some of the best practices that you're teaching your media buyers, because probably a lot of these people come from say like media, like they might be analytical or they might be doing all this media buying. How do you get them from a media buyer to be also a really good account manager? Like, is there training yeah. or how do you Yeah, that? We have a lot of communications training and frankly, sales training. And it's not sales training, they're not selling, but the seller is very sensitive to choosing the right words, what to say, et cetera, you know, working for an outcome. And so we do the same thing with them of like, hey, this is what you're trying to accomplish. So like, these are the kind of things you should say, shouldn't say. And then honestly, like we have to consistently teach things that we're surprised we have to teach. Like people that aren't used to communicating with clients or selling will say stuff like, oh, sorry, I just have so many other clients to work with. I didn't have time to get to yours. It's like things like that, that you're just like, first off, like we have a lot of load management. So not true. Second off, like, are you nuts? Like, it'll happen now and then. But we also have learned like, you can't really blame someone in that sense and be like, oh my God, I can't believe you would say that. What's wrong with you? Like when they don't have experience, it's on us. So we try to like basically take mistakes and turn them into trainings and then consistently remind and train people about the things they should and shouldn't say. And then make a lot of it very systematized too. Like this is the dashboard you're reporting against. So this is what you're going to talk about. These are the, where you're going to put your insights. Very straightforward. Like this is what you do. So they're not trying to like reinvent the wheel every time we have a new employee or someone's getting a new client. It's like, no, you just follow these steps. And the job is to be smart and know what you're doing and be able to explain it. But other than that, let's try to make it like, this is exactly how you're going to do it. Love I that. can imagine that is a system that maybe is developing always, but something definitely yeah. that can be, I guess, definitely needed. I mean, that's always the challenge with us, right? Kind of finding that unicorn best of both worlds that know how to speak to the tech side, but also are that client facing person that, you know, well, we all know <laughs> when it's people, they're not machines, they're people. So like, yeah. they're going to surprise you. They're going to do 
good and bad, by the way. They're going to do stuff that you're like, whoa, awesome. You know, we have people like entry level employees at the company that'll like completely change a process for the company and tell us why we've been doing something wrong for eight years. And it's like, you get that too. Yeah. But then you also get stuff that you're like, what did you do? Like, what? <laughs> we had an employee right when COVID hit that we all went to work from home and he decided that he would have a whiteboard behind him that just said a bunch of swear words on it. His, I think wife or girlfriend was like a lingerie designer. So it was a bunch of lingerie here, a bunch of swear words here. And he was stabbing a knife into the desk while talking to a client. <laughs> we're just like, <laughs> like he's a good, really good at what he did, but we're just like, dude, like in any of that, nothing quick, yeah. like maybe put my, get my shit. Like then we had to have put a, the knife down. <laughs> we had to have like a checklist of like, this is what it looks like to be a professional at home. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think that, you know, sometimes we run into this too. Like you want the person to know that, like you want them to know that, you know, maybe swear words aren't the most friendly sort of approach, but we have yeah. three core values, get shit done, learn quickly and be cool. So like we have a swear word in our core values. So I'm not going to like right. fault someone for swearing. <laughs> it's just like, but read your audience. I do say like, it goes both ways where it's like, if someone doesn't like the fact that we get shit done as one of our core values, they probably shouldn't work with Hawk. Cause when you're working with founders, like you're going to hear some profanity. Like that, if that's where your sticking point is, don't come here. Vice versa. If you're a client and that's where your sticking point is probably not going to like working with us either. Cause we don't get caught up in the, you know, the pomp and circumstance of things and the minutia of those kind of things. Like if a swear word slips out and that becomes this, like, I can't believe you swore. It's like, we have yeah. you know, more important shit to do just to be yeah. more like, this is something I often think about too. I was like, is that what we're worried about? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, no, it's funny. But yeah. I'm, I'm, my wife's in private equity and a very buttoned up a great firm, but they're like very buttoned. It's private equity. They're, they have to yeah. be like run their best behavior, so to speak. They're managing like teachers funds and stuff like that. And she was like, I don't think you should have that there. And I'm like, again, someone that comes and works with us, employee or client that is turned off by this is not going to like their experience at Hawk Media. We're yeah. because that's what we're doing. We're getting shit done. There's going to be edgy parts of what we do, especially in marketing. You're going to sometimes want to push the boundaries. And if we're getting people that are like, we can't do any of this because, yeah. you know, again, it's bad manners. It's like, that's not there. Obviously there's brands. We don't throw swear words in every client we have, <laughs> but it's more about that ability to talk openly versus yeah. you know, using them all the time. Mm -hmm. Totally. So your client management team is fire. You have really great people on board. Who else is on the Hawk Media team? What are those core sort of buckets that you uh, need to have to function properly? So yeah, so our service team is what we call it. And that's all the people servicing clients. Then we have, I'll go next biggest is our, frankly, our sales team. I have a very solid sales team. And we have a very robust sales organization. I can't say this for certain, but I believe aside from agencies that work with like individuals, like real estate agents, we probably sign more new clients than any brand agency, probably in the country on a monthly basis. So like we signed last month was a slow month. I think we signed 60 something new clients. It's like 60 to 80 a month, basically. Wow. And then we're also gr usually growing around 50 of our existing clients every month too, and expanding our services with them. So there's a lot of growth across our clients every single month. So our sales, we've built a sales process for agency and a pitch and all that, that is just working really well. Even in April of 2020, like heart, heart, heart of COVID starting and everyone freaking out. I think we still signed like 36 or 40 clients that month. Wild. Wow. So they're a machine. Um, then we have a small marketing team. That's a lot of content, advertising, 
events, a lot of design work, that kind of stuff that we do our own marketing, kind of drink our own punch. And then we use our own service team sometimes for ourselves. And then uh, partnerships team. And we do a ton in channel partnerships and people that are trying to reach the same customers, et cetera, sending business back and forth. Then we have HR, recruiting, accounting, legal, the usual suspects. IT, yeah. At this size, you need all those usual suspects, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So having this massive team, mm-hmm. you being the CEO, mm-hmm. how do you impact all 300 of these people? What's the secret? I am not great at it. It's always a challenge. Like I'd say the part that we're worst at is uh, corporate communications. It's like literally a position we're looking at hiring for or building out part of someone's role because things don't disseminate as good as they should. We're working on it. The way I've done it is try to like talk to the leadership, then talk to the sort of middle management and try to have it spread into the team. But uh, like right now we're changing the way we're reporting to clients because frankly, cookies are going away. There's a lot of stuff that's going away that we've been using. So we're trying to change it, get ahead of it and change how we show, talk about marketing with our clients without them thinking there's some other ulterior motive and like trying to help communicate why we're changing that, et cetera. And I'm getting on my third review of it today because when I go through our leadership, it's like a game of telephone. And when I send out a note, it's taken out of context. So it's like, all right, I'm doing my third recorded phone call with our team today to talk about how we're doing this and how this is rolling out while also doing what I said earlier, which is building out our tools to basically make it easy for them. But I'm really trying to get, you don't want to just say, here's how you're doing it now. It'll do it for you. You want to obviously give context. So working a lot on that. So it takes a lot. I mean, it really does. It's the whole having a bigger company is like a, you know, big cruise ship and like, it takes a while to turn is totally true. And you can try to do a lot of things to mitigate that and make things easier, but it's just part of it when you have so many different things that are affected now by change Mm -hmm. and people. Totally. Totally. I can imagine that's the ongoing sort of piece of the puzzle, right? Like you kind of want everybody to have a little, I don't know, piece of the pie, so they say, or know know you or know the process, but- um, Yeah, and that's part of it is like, I do meet with every new employee. We have a new hire hangout every month and we bring on, I mean, we have one next week. I'm curious as an example, I think we have probably 20 people I'm meeting next week that are brand new. That's cool. Um, So we do that, but that's not enough. Like just to be blunt, Mm -hmm. like it takes a long time to get to know different employees. And there's some employees that literally go under my radar for years, like- just because they're not extroverted. I may not have a specific project that I ever come across them because I do jump in with clients quite a bit and I do try to spend time with the team and I'll see them on Zoom calls. But with 300 people, there's just no way I can get individual time with everyone. Mm-hmm. Of, course. Yeah. Yeah. of course. Well, let's talk as we round out this podcast about the book. Sure. And something that I really loved is that simple um, tripod approach. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to kind of just high level touch on that um, sure. sneak peek into the book and maybe how some of these smaller agencies that might be listening can take this tripod method, use it in their agency, but also for their clients. Yeah, no, that that's part of the intent is, again, I really got frustrated with people not putting in the right marketing strategies to grow these businesses. It really comes down to so the three, the sort of tripod, the three principles of marketing are awareness, nurturing, and trust. Awareness, how do you introduce a potential customer to your product or service and get them sort of in your ecosystem? Nurturing, what do you do from the time they become aware to the time they purchase? Because what a ton of marketers and founders miss 
is that there is a time period there that it takes time for someone to go from, oh, I just found out about this new company to actually buying something. And uh, that can be usually between several weeks and several months. And so you need to do things during that period. That's where email marketing and SMS and content, chatbots, all these things to keep engagement going, come in. And then the last piece, trust, is basically when you're first starting out and don't have a brand people know, you need to build trust somehow to get people to buy. Different products and services have different levels of trust, but you get it through third-party validation. So testimonials, reviews, referrals, uh, endorsement deals, influencer marketing, PR, et cetera. And then over time, as you start delivering something consistently and get a reputation, your trust becomes your brand. So covering all those, when you're looking at a marketing strategy, really thinking about those three pillars and are we covering our basis here? And also looking at when you see a strategy that needs work, there's infinite opportunity cost in marketing, but this also allows you to focus on where do we think we're the weakest? And so that's the whole idea is it's like, you know, my favorite thing is the first one-star review I got on the book was, uh, I don't get it. It's just like modern marketing 101. It's like, no, you got it exactly. Like that was the point. Easy read, <laughs> modern marketing number one. Like, thanks for the one star. <laughs> I knew it was coming up enough author friends that are like, just wait, you're going to get some ridiculous stuff. But that was the whole <laughs> intent of it. I love it. I love how it's just so simple, right? Like I was reading yeah. it and I was like, we should be texting our clients or yeah. yeah, like PR should be definitely on the list. And just like all those little things that you forget about when it comes to marketing, it's just like, go back to the basics. Yeah. Think of it in this really simple tripod way. And I love it. So anybody listening, definitely go get the Hawk method. You'll, it's just a refreshing read to just kind of, recenter yourself on what you're doing when it comes to marketing. Thank you. And my five-star review would say, I was telling Taylor this, I was like, I kept finding like all these, like, yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that. And I found myself like folding down pages and writing asterisks. And then it was just like every other page and every page I was like, okay, it's just like a really easy read. And this is just like <laughs> such a great tool to kind of keep, keep, you know, us motivated yeah. and on our best. It was fun. I was, my wife, who I've been with for eight years. She bought it on Amazon. She, I was like, hey, I need you to write a review. We need to get our Amazon reviews up. She's like, well, I'm not writing a review until I read it. I'm like, okay. And she goes into our bedroom and then she comes out two hours later. She's like, yeah, that was great. Now I get what you do. I'm like, did you just read my book in two hours? She's like, yeah, it's an easy read. I'm like, I didn't think it was that easy, but okay, perfect. But honestly, the idea was like, it, I want it to be exactly that. Like a quick read. Mm-hmm. Now I get it. Like, because I don't think marketing is that complicated. And especially for people that are running agencies that are trying to figure out how to explain it and vice versa. Like we're sending one to every one of our clients because now we can be like, this is what we're doing for you. Now you get it. Cause communication is way more important for us than actually even in this is, we found this statistically, how we communicate our work and the actual quality of the work communication will trump quality all day. Not saying we don't have quality work, but we can do the best work ever. If we don't communicate it well, we'll lose the client. We can do mediocre work and communicate it well. We'll keep the client. So true. Thank you so much, Eric, for coming on the podcast. Loved your book. Thank you so much for sending that to us. Yeah. Um, We'll definitely be shouting you guys out and encouraging everyone to go get the book. And thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on with us today. Thank you for having me. Cheers to happy clients. 